Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Boom, I'm in the room. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Thirsty Thursday Livestream, coming live to you from the Hill Manor Studios. So, question. Are you struggling with the loss of a loved one? Do you think you need help coping? If you do, stick around. I've got some fabulous guests coming on tonight to... Um, to take us all through it, to give us some coping strategies, to tell their stories. So, just a few, um, quickly, um, what's coming up? So, this week, next week, is our bereavement specials. We're going to carry this over next week because we've got a lot of people coming in wanting to tell their stories to help. Um, people going through the same as what they've been through. The following week, the 29th of September, we've got a veterans mental health special and we're going to particularly look into uh, veteran suicide. At the moment, there are roughly around about 22 people in the United Kingdom every day taking their lives. A vast majority of those are veterans and we need to talk about it. The following week, the 6th of October, hooray, it's going to be the archaeological special. Uh, I make no apologies for pulling it last week. We were just at this stage getting the show ready to go live when we heard the news, and as a, a team, we decided we couldn't do it. Um, I was in absolute bits um, with the news that came through. Uh, of the loss of Her Majesty the Queen. Then the following week, uh, the 13th of October, I'm looking at another special. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get the, the specialist in to talk about it, and it'll be a really good one. And as soon as I've uh, nailed that together, I'll let you know. And then I'm looking at possibly doing an Oprah's Hall <laughs> Q&A on the 20th of October. You know what happened the last time we did one of those? Well, <laughs> it was a laugh. And we had some funny old questions. Um, so we may be doing that again, but the, the, I've got a couple of these specials that are coming up that I'm working on. And if that drops in the place, then we'll drop that one and we'll bring this other one in. So, let's have a look. Oh, we've got, let's... Uh, We've got Eagle VP. He's in the uh, in the chat. Coco H. I know Coco H is. Hello, darling. Love you to bits. Um, Cherry, uh, Charlie, welcome. Steve Hammond. I haven't seen you for a while. How you doing, mate? Uh, Catherine. Let me know if you want to come on later. You've got the link. So that's the uh, that's those. So what we're going to do next is I'm going to bring in my first guest oh by the way don't forget to click the like button or you can put hearts on there whatever you like 
but don't do the dislike button. <laughs> don't like dislikes. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll subscribe to the channel and all that stuff, all that good stuff. Anyway, I'm just going to bring in my first guest. Um, she's going to operate all the way from Sweden. Hang on. Oh, <laughs> hit the right button. <laughs> Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. Nice to be here, Tim. It's great to have you. Let's just get rid of that. Well, uh, just one last thing before we get cracking. I'd just like to say, God save the Queen, long live the King. I yes. think that's heartfelt everywhere. So, Cheryl, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, well, um, I'm an expat uh, from the US and I've been living in Sweden for the last 30 years. And I work for the Lutheran Church of Sweden as a deacon. And here in the Church of Sweden, a deacon is not actually an assistant to the minister. We have our own profession, and that is that we do social work and a lot of counseling work with people who are going through difficulties in their lives. And so one of the things, one of the things I do a lot of is grief counseling or bereavement counseling. And we do that individually and also in groups. We have grief counseling groups in our congregation and most congregations here in Sweden have those groups as well. Well, brilliant. So, uh, and part of your job is to do bereavement counseling. Yes, that's right. Um, the Church of Sweden, well, Sweden is a very secularized country but a lot of people are still members of the Church of Sweden because they want to sort of support the, the, uh, the cultural heritage of the Church of Sweden uh, and also the, the good works that the church does. I guess it's sort of like maybe a lot of people still belong to the Church of England, but perhaps they aren't necessarily religious themselves. And, uh, and so when you are a member of the Church of Sweden and you die, you are, uh, you are then, your funeral is, is held by the Church of Sweden. And therefore we come into a contact with a lot of people who are in bereavement. Um, our ministers who handle the funerals come into contact with the families and then they refer the families to us for counseling if they feel the need for it. Mm. So I guess it's like anywhere, um, you get an awful lot of people that are, are that die every day and it's a part of life. And I like to look at it as it's not mourning the loss of a person, it's celebrating the life of the person. And I think if we can, if we can all take that on board, that we celebrate their life rather than mourn the loss, then I think we could all find it easier to cope with um, and some people find it more difficult than others. Yes, well there is a there's a small percentage of people who are uh, grieving who actually need uh, some sort of treatment or perhaps even psychological treatment. Uh, the truth is that research shows that most people who are in grief even if it's just a really terrible form of grief, like losing your child, uh, yeah. most people do get through grief without needing uh, medical attention or psychiatry. 
um, but you might actually need some sort of counseling or someone to talk to about it. Um, so the thing is, is that I think still grief and death are still a natural part of life. It's just that we've pushed it so far to the side uh, in modern day life now that we don't live you know, in, in large households, perhaps mm. in the countryside where people died at home. We've sort of removed death from our daily lives, and that makes it all the more shocking when it happens. Yeah. I think you're right there. I mean, so many people um, end up going into, into hospitals or hospices uh, for their final days that have had long protracted um, illnesses. And I don't know whether it's, it's easier or harder to deal with when, when they pass um, because it's, it, it's, it's more expected than a, than a sudden death. I mean, a sudden death, yeah. uh, particularly for a young fit person. Well, is, I, I generally is, say that a, a sudden death is harder for the people who are left behind Mm -hmm. um, but perhaps easier for the person who who is dying um, yeah. generally. But you can't really, you know, generalize about these things. Um, but if it happens really suddenly, then the people who are left behind have had no time whatsoever to prepare themselves mentally for it. Yeah. So it's uh, there's a lot of support than than is given in Sweden yes. for, for somebody that's going through this. Um, yeah, there there is. I think we a lot of the congregations in Sweden offer these both group groups that you can go to and our our findings are that if you are join a grief counseling group, then the group members help each other just as much as the counselors help. Uh, really the mm. those of us who are counselors were just there to sort of lead the group in the different themes. So when you have a group, you meet six times and you have different themes for each uh, group, um, uh, group, um, what do you call it in, in English, well, it, every time you meet. And yeah. so, for example, the first time you, you meet as a group, you talk about why, what your name is, who you are and why you are there, like which, which loved one you have lost, if it's your, your husband, your wife, uh, um, your mother or father um, or someone else yeah. that was close to you. And then the second time we talk about the uh, period of time before the actual death occurred. So if it was, um, if there was an illness beforehand or if it just happened very suddenly. And then the third uh, time we meet, we talk about the actual death uh, when it happened, uh, if the family was there alongside them or not, if it happened at home, if it happened in the hospital, or if it was an accident. And uh, then the, the fourth time we talk about the actual funeral, because that's also an, an, an important milestone. And it's yeah. really a, it's still a very important ritual to get through your grief process is the, the funeral mm. uh, or the, mem the memorial service. And then the, the fifth and sixth times are about sort of what happens after, um, because often after the funeral, people experience that a lot of their friends and people who were uh, sort of checking up on them and bringing them food and bringing them solace and consolation, a lot of people sort of just are, you know, vanish into thin air and, and they're sort of left alone with their grief. 
but then there are also lots of practical things to deal with. You know, what do you do with the clothing? What do you do with the furniture? Um, if it was your partner, are you going to stay in the same house or the same apartment? Things like that. And then the, the final time we meet is, is sort of looking forward. How do I, how am I going to sort of yeah. live through this? Uh, because it is something we have to live through. And you were talking about, you know, celebrating the life of the person. And that's a lovely, that's a lovely sentiment. And the thing is that we would not grieve if we did not love. So the yeah. beautiful, the beautiful thing about grief is that we would not grieve for anyone. We wouldn't even care if we didn't love them. And so the, the beauty of love also means that we have to grieve when, when we lose that person, if, if they go before us and that's something we never know. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, um, it's and, it, and we find that these groups are really, really beneficial for everyone in the group. They really help each other a lot in the group. Mm. As, and having gone through it myself, um, I know it, there, there's so much to deal with after. Um, I mean, just the practicalities of of sorting out bank accounts, the will, if they had a will, if they right. die in test state, oh, that's, that, that's a whole minefield again. Yes, um, it is. So you've got all of that, and then people find it very quickly. Uh, once once the wake's out of the way, um, they, they think that's part of the process that's over, and, uh, and, and true friends just keep turning up, uh, just to keep an eye on you for years afterwards. And I think that really does help a lot of people. Yes, it does. And mm. I think a lot of people nowadays, when death is so far removed from us in our daily lives, that people don't always know how to behave around someone who is bereaved or someone who is in grief. And so sometimes they will say things in, you know, all well-meaning. They'll say well-meaning things, but the mm. person who is grieving uh, really doesn't find it helpful at all um, or else they'll just sort of disappear into thin air because they don't know how to deal with it they don't know what to say and I usually say well don't say anything just listen yeah. I mean there, there really is nothing to say when someone is in grief uh, the best thing to do is sort of sit mm. beside them and listen to what they're going through yeah well thank you Cheryl for that uh, insight what I'm going to do You're is welcome. I'm going to drop you down now and right. what I'll do is I'm going to play the first video clip I've got. I, I, I did a, um, an interview earlier in the week with, a, with a, a, a young lady from Australia. That's why she's not able to join us tonight. Because it's, I think it's about 2 o'clock in the morning there. And, and, and she struggles at that time of the day. But she did an interview for, with me on Monday. And um, I'm just going to play that for you now. So let me drop you down out of the way. And here is that video. She's going to tell her story about how she lost her husband. So, Marie, you're in the room. Thank you, Tim, for having me. Um, before I tell the story how I lost my husband, I just want to make one comment here. Um, Rob and I were known as that couple. Everybody looked at us, us as you two lovebirds and you wouldn't understand about any issues in relationship because they always looked up to us as that absolute dream couple, still holding hands, still being heavily in love. And uh, I remember that one Sunday, the boys and I walked Rob to the station because he was flying out to Perth on a business trip. 
and um, he never came home from the business trip. Rob passed away from a brain aneurysm, so it was very sudden. There was no pre-warning, and um, I was so in tune with Rob that I actually felt something had happened. He also didn't call me in the morning like he promised, which was already a really bad sign because Rob was always the one I could always rely on. If he would say, I call you at 7.30, he would call me at 7.30. That phone call didn't come. And I kept trying to text him and to ring him. And then around lunchtime, I remembered that I had the details to his hotel. So I called them and I said, please don't think I'm one of those freaked out wives stalking her husbands, but I know there's something wrong with him because I didn't hear from him all day. He was supposed to call me. Can you please send somebody up to his room and see if he's there and the second I said that I had this split second of a vision of Rob collapsing in a shower so I said to her and can you please check in the shower I didn't want to tell them what I saw I didn't want to buy into what I saw but I had this glimpse of a vision and I just added it and that's where they found him Rob passed away in a shower from a brain aneurysm and four hours later I finally got the phone call of them telling me I had to wait for four hours because police had to follow protocol. And um, unfortunately, we don't have a manned police station here in town, so I had to wait for the news to finally come through via phone call. Well, that's outrageous that, that it took that amount of time yeah. to, to be able to tell you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to get it as a phone call, not as in person, was even worse well I have to disagree politely here just in my case because I understand police has got their protocol yet you need to understand we live in an open plan house all our doors are made of glass my boys were sitting downstairs waiting for me to take them to martial arts training they were already dressed in the uniform and I received that phone call and I have to say I am so grateful to the sergeant to have put me out of my misery because I had been waiting and trying to call for four hours and I kept calling the hotel, I kept calling his mobile. Nobody picked up the phone anymore and I was going crazy. I thought, they know my number now. They're not picking up my phone. There's something going on. So my anxiety levels were rising. I'm usually not a very anxious person. Yet um, for the sergeant to talk to me over the phone was so much more personal and put me in a position where I could choose how to share that with the boys. If yeah. police would have walked up to my house, they would have gotten my boys first. I'm so grateful that they didn't have to have that experience on top of the news already anyway. So in my case, I have to say I was lucky to receive the news that way and not through two police officers coming to the house. I think that would be very traumatic. And most people, you know, describe that as a very traumatic situation police knocking on the door and delivering the news so the phone call made it a lot more personal in a very bizarre way i have to say he was mm. very beautiful when i talked to him yeah yeah so i've actually been on that side of the fence i i've mm. i've had to i've been a notification officer and had to go and deliver the news that yeah. somebody's lost a loved one mm. um it's, it's it's horrendous and the amount of emotion that, that's involved with it, I mean, I've seen it yeah. two or three times um, where I was an assistant uh, notification officer mm. and then I've been a visiting officer. So uh, it, it's 
it, the person that's delivering the news is quite often the one to get the blame. Yeah. Um, and then a visiting officer comes in afterwards and, and has to pick up the pieces. Mm. Um, a, <laughs> there's no easy way of doing it. Oh, absolutely and not. That's, that's, that's the problem. That way was a bit more gentle for us. I never experienced the other one, but I'm yeah. quite glad I didn't, to be honest. So in my case, I have to say I was quite grateful that it happened that way, not that it happened, obviously, yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I guess from your point of view, because you've got the news, you were able then to, to break the news to the boys. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Did that make the process easier for you? I think it keeps it more personal, as in, you know, when I told the boys there is no sugarcoating such a message, there is no, you know, delivering it in an easier way, yet it was me who told them and not police officers, so when they fell apart, I could hold them. I am so grateful that when they fell apart, there was no strangers in our house witnessing that. It would, would have been even more so traumatic for the boys, I believe, so, you know, like with young boys having to cry in front of others. It's not an easy one anyway, so I'm really, really grateful that we could just be the three of us together and, and hold each other and cry together, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Well, that was a, a chat I had earlier in the week. Um, uh, I've got four clips that we're going to do. Uh, I may not get them all in this week. Uh, if I don't, we'll carry the other two over to next week. But it's a real gussy lady. And her story about helping other people is phenomenal. So I'm going to bring my next guest in now. Um, so Scott, if you're ready, mate, you are in the room. All right. I'm just going to shut my outlook down. We are ready. Wicked. So Scott, um, can you tell us about your story and, and, and your um, your process of getting through it. <clears throat> well, you and I met uh, a month or so ago on a podcast, I think it was, and I told you about Grace's story, um, which I'll share a bit about and then the walk through it. But you didn't know at that time that that was our second loss. We we'd lost a child to suicide um, three years prior to losing Grace. So October 9th, 2018, we lost our son Travis to suicide. And then October 13th, 2013, we lost our Down syndrome, or not 2013, 2021. So just <clears throat> coming up on a year, we lost our 19 year old girl with Down syndrome to uh, medical murder in the hospital. And um, so grace was grace was the love of our life i mean it's uh it's uh, been quite a process so people can find out i'm not going to go through the story here because that's not the purpose but if people are interested in grace's story and what happened they can go to the website which is ouramazinggrace.net but you know what the difference between travis and grace is is fairly significant you know your first first guest talked about the difference between if the death is sudden versus prolonged. And I certainly think that that is, is true. Um, the overlay that I would use is, was the death uh, within something you could control or not? And so with Travis, it was easier to, 
to um, accept because you know, he he was struggling with pain. The the uh, doctors had given him some meds that should never have been combined, but we didn't know that till there was an autopsy done. Um, but you know, he chose to end his life. That doesn't make it easy easy to accept, but it was certainly easier than than what happened with Grace. Uh, with Grace, we took her in the hospital with COVID, and they proceeded to to murder her. So you know that is that's really tough. Uh, I have um, become an advocate for disability rights as a result of Grace's death. So I mean, my whole life changed. My my wife, of course, her whole life changed. We homeschooled Grace, so her best friend is gone. My best buddy is gone. And I own a business. I turned my business over to my guys, and I've been working on Grace's case full time now. Her 11 month anniversary was two days ago from her death. I've been working on her case full time for 10 months. Um, the grieving process is, uh, you know, it's different for, um, for not just the reason I said, but it's also different if you're a man versus a woman and. As I describe it, when when Travis died, uh, you know, I I own a business. You know, the reality is, I have guys that need leadership. The payroll has to be made. You know, you, I can't just take off for a month and grieve. Um, that isn't the way it is. You know, so my grieving with Travis took place. You know, while I'm while I'm working at the same time. Uh, with Grace, it is significantly different, mainly because uh, what happened since Travis died about well, a little bit less than a year before Travis died, I, I developed heart disease. And so I started training my guys to run the business uh, because I didn't know when I would would die suddenly. And so um, it was fairly easy to transition into this new role of being a disability rights advocate and working on Grace's story and her case and all of that. But, you know, ultimately the grieving process for me more than anything else had to do with, with uh, God's nature. So one of his characteristics is that he's sovereign. And so that was, that helped me quite a bit because every night after Grace died, I would wake up in the middle of the night for, um, no, probably three months straight. And I would replay the decisions that went into uh, things that I had control over. You know, ultimately I ended up trusting the white coat, the medical establishment, and my personal trust in that establishment is technically caused Grace's death. That doesn't discount what the, the hospital did to murder her, but you know, when I look at it through just the things I did, you know, I trusted the white coat. I mean, I challenged like crazy everything that they were doing so much. So I got kicked out and by an armed guard midway through her stay. But regardless, I still, at that day I was kicked out, I didn't take Grace with me because I, I trusted that they would not kill her. I trusted they'd have the, her best interest in mind. And they didn't. You know, so then you know how does god's sovereignty fit into that is and how it got me through you know every night not being able to sleep because i'm waking up replaying everything was that you know 
God knew grace before she was born. He knew the date, uh, the time, uh, the situation, all the factors that were going to go into her death. And so after she died, when you look at it after she died, you know, if you believe in God, I mean, that was already predestined. So there's nothing that I could have done. Um, that can never excuse your behavior going up to it. But it gave me confidence that, okay, God God had this. He, he's he got this. He had it then. Um, and he's got it now. And, you know, ultimately what happened with me then is in that process, God worked in my heart an attitude of forgiveness towards the doctor and nurse who murdered her uh, so that I could I could be an advocate and not an angry dad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that... I would say relative to my personal grief, it was 100% God that got me through it because, you know, on my own, there's no way I could have gotten through this. How do you, how do you lose your best buddy and not, and get through it? Uh, you know, it doesn't mean, I mean, I cry, I mean, literally, well, I mean, I would say the number of days I haven't cried since she died is you know, less than a handful. You know, it is. I, I'd never miss somebody like this. Um, that'll probably, I, I don't know when that ends. I don't know that it ever will end, but you still have to have a way to deal with it. You know, I know where she is. Uh, you know, I, I believe in the truth of scripture, the, the, the truth of the gospel. So I know where she is, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't bring her back. Um, I think your earlier guest said, you know, people will try to say things to comfort you and, you know, they don't even, they don't know what they're even saying. The best thing that I would tell people is that if you have somebody in your life that's grieving, just be there to listen because, you know, you can't be in their shoes. That's impossible. You know, so we've had people say, well, Grace, you know, now that Grace is in heaven, she has, you know, she won't have Down syndrome anymore. You know, that, you know, I'd, I'd excuse that because they don't know what they're saying. And, you know, grace, grace represented God's love on this earth. So, I mean, I personally think everybody in heaven has Down syndrome. Of course, they say that tongue in cheek, but that's just how special grace was. You know, she, she was, she was a gift from God. So anyway, does that give you what you were after, Tim, for this piece? Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's, like you say, it's really difficult to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. But the one thing to take away that over time it it, it does start to ease a little bit. It'll never go away. I mean, I lost my wife in two thousand six, and and I still think about and we still talk about her nowadays. And I lost my best mate in two thousand and five, uh, a year and a day. Uh, before my wife um, and, and we still talk about them to this day and it's it and yes we miss them and we miss them a lot but as the years go by it, it does get a little bit easier I must say um, and a few weeks ago I lost my best mate and um, and on top of that we've just lost the queen so it's it's turning out to be a, a, a bit of a tough old time at the moment um, and that's why we, we, we're doing this. And if we can help other people, um, people that, that aren't in the same position as us, that have lost people that close, um, when it does happen, if, if they can reflect on, 
on what we've done or if somebody that that's close to you doesn't know quite what to say hopefully this will give them the idea that you don't need to say anything you just need to be there to listen and i think that's one of the the keys to take away the tim hill podcasts ordinary people's extraordinary stories Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.